Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. Chapter 19, verse 1, it says, And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping in mourning for Absalom. And again, the reason why David, I believe, had such this deep passion for Absalom, even in the midst of his rebellion, was because we remember that because of incest within David's own home, he wouldn't correct his son who had raped Absalom's sister. Now, David, because he was guilty of these things in his own life, now he has this problem. And so this begins to boil within Absalom. And so finally, Absalom then overthrows his dad. And of course, then he was killed. Well, David, I believe, blamed himself for Absalom's rebellion and ultimately Absalom's death. And so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. Now, this is a problem because you have an army going out who believe that they're serving the king. The king, you might say, of the rebellion has just been killed. And so a day that normally would be rejoicing in that that we stopped a giant civil war from happening within our country, the king is all bummed out that uh, this uh, kid of his died. And so the people literally went away by stealth. They stole back into the city that day as people who were ashamed steal away in the fleeing of battle. So here was his mighty men who had gathered around him to fight so uh, diligently and so valiantly after they saw that really there wasn't much to celebrate here, even though the rebellion was over, Absalom is dead. Rather than them all having a victory celebration, they all slink away back into the city again going, oh, well, I guess that's about all there is. The king covered his face. The king cried out with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house uh, to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants, who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and your daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would have been happier. It would have pleased you well. Now this is a kind of a tough place to be. He goes in, David is crying over his son. And Joab basically says, look. He says, you better be thinking about your other sons and your other daughters and all those that have been loyal to you. Your focus is upon this one. Now, unfortunately, as we know, Absalom was the firstborn of David's household. So he would have naturally been the one that would have taken David's place when David was to retire from the kingness or or die or whatever. He he would uh, have been out of the picture Absalom most likely would have been the one that would take over. But because he tried to take the throne by force, he disqualified himself. Now, it's interesting that a lot of times we'll find that as God leads us in doing things sometimes, as we get ahead of God, we can sometimes disqualify ourselves from what God's best is for us. 
You've seen maybe people sometimes in the dating world and they get ahead of God and they they end up jumping before God says to jump and they really pay some serious consequences in their life for that. And, And so it's a tough situation oftentimes to get ahead of God. And certainly Absalom got ahead of God. Yeah, there was probably some things that really needed to be done. And because of David's weaknesses in certain areas of his life, was not able to actually execute the things that needed to have happened within the kingdom because of his own failures. Absalom, seeing that, could have become uh, David's, you might say, right-hand man in assuming uh, that he was going to take over the, the throne. But rather, he got ahead of God, he got ahead of David, and ended up dying for his transgression. Well... Joab comes in and says, look, everybody that stood with you, I think you would have been happier if Absalom would have lived and we would have all died. Pretty serious thing. So verse 7 here, uh, Joab gives David some pretty pointed advice. And this is what he says. Now therefore, arise and go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And it will be worse than all the evil that has been fallen you since your youth until now. Um, he's saying basically this. If you, don't, if you don't go out and comfort those people that risk their lives to save your life, listen, it's going to be worse for you than anything you've ever faced. Now, David faced some pretty rough things. And Joab might have been being a little melodramatic right here. But nevertheless, what, they, what Joab was saying was very true. If you don't support those who support you, everybody will leave, and then where will you be? So I think it's always an important thing to remember that he said, listen, you need to support those who have supported you. You, you know, again, the pendulum swings two ways. And, and friends, I think we need to remember that as well, that we need to support those who support us. You go through a rough time, people come to your rescue, then they go through a rough time, you say, see ya. <laughs> no, we don't do that. You want to be the same benevolent and same kindness metered back to them as they were to you or even more so. Now, Jesus said concerning these things, he said, he said, you know, lend without expecting return. Bless those that curse you. For if you bless only those that bless you, he said, even the heathen do that. So here he's basically saying that, listen, at least treat those people who were loyal to you with some kind of thankfulness as you would go out and address them and encourage them. And so the king arose and sat in the gate. Now this is interesting here. He, he arose, so he took Joab's advice. Now friends, I, I, I think a lot of times that's a good thing. You know, there's a lot of advice that flies around. And a lot of times advice is not good advice. The Bible says that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Now it doesn't mean there's wisdom in a multitude of opinions. But people that kind of know and understand things, I think a lot of times it's wise to get their opinion of things. And especially people who have given you good advice in the past. I think that's pretty good. And and, and so anyway, David listened to what Joab had to say. Now, we understand that David, of course, had some problems with information. A lot of times he got information that was bad or completely inaccurate. And I think this also led, as David gets older, I think it also led to David, some of David's inability to make good decisions concerning day-to-day life running the kingdom. And I think certainly it was those things that were leading up to certainly Absalom's behavior. And and again, as you would look at this, um, uh, 
you know, I think there's a sensitivity that God gives us sometimes concerning these things so things don't take you by surprise. So there's a little bit of insight there. So it says that uh, the king arose, sat in the gate. Now the gate again, as most of us have been studying, is where all the business was transacted in the city. And, it, and so it was like their version of city hall, you might say. So this is where David arose and went. And, told, uh, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. And, and again, uh, because they just didn't know what was going on. Uh, I, I, the reason why it mentions Israel here, that would be referencing basically the ten tribes uh, to the north. Um, the, you have this situation where uh, many of them were loyal to Absalom, so everybody fleeing to their tent, being Absalom is dead, they didn't know, well, did you hear he was part of Absalom's gang? And they didn't know if the army was going to come and kill them because they were part of the rebellion or not. So everybody fled to their tent. Well, here's David sitting in the gate. Uh, it's interesting that David didn't go right back to his, to his palace, uh, but he went to, his gate, to the gate first. So everybody could see him there once again as authority. Now, if you remember, this is where Absalom turned the hearts of the people of Israel against David, his father, when they would come and they would have an issue. And he'd say, well, you know, if I was only king, I could plead this for you. But, you know, my dad's so busy, you know, doing all the stuff that he does that, uh, you know, he just doesn't have time for you. Sorry. And it said that Absalom turned the hearts of the people of Israel away from his father and towards himself because he acted in the gate of the city. Well, now David is in the gate of the city again. And so the people of Israel, because the people of Israel fled to the tent. Now all the people were in dispute throughout the tribes of Israel saying, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. Now this is the dispute. David, this mighty man of war, um, obviously a general's general, you might say, a person that commanded authority by killing Goliath and all the other things that he did. Well, now you find that they're saying, but he ran from his own son. So uh, do we follow this guy or not? I mean, he, he seems to be a really great war general, but uh, he can't like manage the affairs in his whole household and he ran from Absalom and what's going on here? So this is the dispute that was, was, that had arisen. It says, but Absalom, whom we anointed over us has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? Then King David sent to Zadok and Abathar, the priest saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all of Israel have come to the king, even to his house? He's saying, Listen, there is no other king. Absalom's dead. And so all of you as Israel, who once was so enthralled with Absalom, now it's time for you to okay and bring back David as king. You are my brethren, you are bone of uh, 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 my bone uh, and of my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone uh, and, and my flesh? Now, now Amasa was Absalom's commander in chief. He was David's version of Joab, you might say, and he was um, David's nephew. So, so he says to Amasa, rather than having Amasa killed, notice what he says. 
Are you not bone and, and, of, uh, and of my flesh? God do so to me and more uh, also, if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. Now, um, you've got to remember, Joab was the commander, served with David for a lot of years. Joab was a person who um, had become more and more thinking more and more highly of himself as the story went along, as we remember. And we remember that uh, uh, he would uh, kill people kind of at will and things like this. But uh, Joab is the one that's been, been coaching David and being with David the entire time. And now what's happening is David is taking away Joab's position and putting the enemy's captain in his place. Now, you know that had not set well with Joab. You know, here's somebody that's been loyal to you and tried their best, and then as soon as Absalom is killed, you take his commander-in-chief, happens to be your nephew, and you remove Joab and put him in uh, the place. Well, this is going to create problems. You can see that right now, and it does, and it did. Um, again, I, I think, you know, there, there are certain things that you do, and, and you got to watch out for nepotismal issues. And you also, in your life, you have to kind of watch out for those who have been loyal to you to remember them when things are going on. Now, it may very well be that because David had warm fuzzies concerning Absalom, that if he had his commander-in-chief alongside of him in some way, that was some kind of a recompense or some kind of balancing the pendulum, you might say, in having him there. Well, the problem was is that Joab didn't take kindly this, as we'll read on. So he says, uh, if you're not continually in the place of Joab, so he swayed the hearts of the men of Judah... Just as the heart of one man, so that he sent word to the king, saying, Return you and all your servants. Now, it may very well have been as well that he may have appointed Amasa uh, to be his commander-in-chief in that he was trying to reunite any loyalty to, to uh, Absalom in the land of Israel because now he had his commander-in-chief as his uh, chief advisor, his, his number one guy, you might say. So there, there might have been some of that going on there too because again, verse 14, so he, so he swayed the hearts of the men. So that might have been part of it as well. Verse 15, the king, then the king returned and came to Jordan and all of Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king and escort the king across the Jordan. So basically, David now is, is on his way back to Jerusalem to uh, take back over the, his palace and all that that he ran away from uh, when, uh, when uh, he took over. Well, we remember uh, Shimei, son of Gera, the, the Benjamite, who was from Bethurim, uh, hastened and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Now, most of us remember who this guy was. He was the guy that when David was leaving, running for his life with a few of the people that were with him, Shimei came saying, you son of the devil, oh, you deserve this. Now we're going to reestablish Saul's line back to the throne. And he was saying, and he was cussing and swearing and throwing rocks at David and everything. And and a couple of David's men said, should we just go over and whack him and take his head off? And David said, I don't know, maybe God's told him to do that. You know, I mean, he just was, David was running for his life. He didn't know what he was doing. And so, uh, and, and, and also I think David was extending to him some mercy, which is really an important part of a, a, a person who loves God. Just as God's been merciful with us, we want to be merciful to others. And so he didn't, he didn't kill him. Well, now David 
Because see, he thought for sure that Absalom was going to take over, and maybe, who knows, maybe even some of Saul's descendants. David was out of the picture, you son of a murderer, he called him. And, and so, so uh, uh, now Shimei realizes that Absalom is dead. And, and everybody heard the things that Shimei said to the king, and so now Shimei, using some wisdom, goes and confesses his sin to David. Now, Now notice this. And I believe this is one of the reasons why, friends, David was a man after God's own heart. Again, when we look at the life of David, we don't see absolute perfection. In fact, we see anything but that. But what you do see in David's life is you see David's forgiving heart. And that's what makes, I believe, David a man after God's own heart. It says that he came down to meet David. And literally, he came down trembling to meet David because he knew that this might be the end of him. And so he says, there were a thousand men... Uh, a Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. Now, we remember Ziba is the one who, who was basically the caretaker for Mesibibeth's land. Now, Mesibibeth was the last living relative of Saul. And David one day said, is there any relatives left of the house of Saul that I may be kind to. Now, most of the time, anybody that was a relative of a previous king, they would execute them. But David, on the other hand, didn't do that. And he was looking for somebody that, uh, of his family could be, be kind to. And lo and behold, his very best friend, Jonathan's son, who a nurse had dropped when he was a baby, when they were being invaded, he broke his legs. And for some reason, they never got set right or whatever. He, could, he was lame on his feet. David heard that he was, that he was still alive, and so he summoned uh, Mesibibeth to come to him. Now, Mesibibeth, we remember the story, he believed that David was going to kill him because this is what kings did to foreign kings or, or previous kings who were against them. And so Mesibibeth comes in believing that he's going to be killed, and instead, David looks at him and says, from now on, from this day forward, and I could just hear him going, I'm going to have my head cut off. No, he says, from this day forward, you're going to eat at my table. You're going to eat the best of the land. You're going to have the best of everything. And we talked about that when we read it a few chapters back. This is a way a lot of people are concerning God. They think if they come to God, God's going to hack their head off. And instead, God says, from now on, I want you to eat at my table. And so David, in his kindness towards Mesibabeth, was, was this. Well, Ziba... Uh, David went and restored to Mesibabeth all the land that his father had had. And, and, and so he gave it back to him. And he put Ziba as the, you might say, the general manager of his estate. And so he would buy and sell and do the crops and all that. And then they would give Mesibabeth money. And meanwhile, he was living in the king's house. But they would give him money. Well, when David was running for his life, Ziba came to him and said, uh, David said, where's Mesibabeth? And, and he said, oh, Mesibabeth, he's with the rebellion. Uh, he hasn't got anything to it. But look, king, what I have brought you. I brought you all these horses and, and uh, you know, I brought all these, these animals for you and food and everything like that. But that Mesibabeth, he's a rascal. Ziba was lying about Mesibabeth. Mesibabeth was always loyal to David, but Ziba was a... He was trying to take advantage of the situation. He was an entrepreneur is what he was. And he saw an opportunity to advance himself 
and put down Mesibabeth. Now this poor crippled guy that David loved, now we find Ziba lying about him. And so Ziba is also there. See, these guys are all going to get found out now. See, Mesibeth and, or excuse me, Ziba and, and uh, Shimei and all these guys that were mean. When they thought David went out, was on his way out the door, they were strutting their stuff. But when David came back and he didn't lose the kingdom, now they've got a lot of crow to eat and they're scared. Now, again, friends, I want to tell you this. One of the things when you see somebody, maybe a boss walking out the door or something like that, and you see somebody and you're going, yeah, I knew he had it coming, and you're sitting there gloating, you better pray to God that that guy doesn't get reinstated back in his job because you're going to be the first one to go. Be careful about saying bad things about people because it can come back to you. And, and, and if Shimei and, and, and Ziba had just said, well, hey, we're here to help and uh, we don't know what the whole situation is, hey, they would have probably been, been rewarded and been something in David's new, king, uh, new, new administration. But instead, they thought, well, this guy's going down and we're going to just stick the stick in and really, really rub it in. Friends, that is not God, that is not Christ, and don't ever do it. Yeah, he had it coming, yeah. Always remember this, there by the grace of God go I. And you, again, you just always want, when you see somebody that's less fortunate than you or somebody's got caught up in something, you know what you want to do? You want to pray for them. That's what the Bible says, pray for your enemies. See, and the reason why is because, again, you, it'll, it'll keep you from copping an attitude. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't, I don't see what the big deal is about praying for my enemies. I don't get it. You know what praying for your enemies does? It keeps you from copping an attitude. Yeah, well, he had it coming, or she had it coming. I knew that was the kind of girl she was, or the kind of guy he was. But you know, when you're praying for somebody, God always reminds you, there by the grace of God go I. You know, that could have been me. And had I walked a mile in their shoes, maybe I would have done not only what they did, but a, a whole lot worse. And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River Christian Fellowship with Second Samuel on It's Time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that 2 Samuel is part two of the first and second Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time. It's time.